At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, 1-866-408-7669, the number to call to be on the show. Uh, we're going to have Will Hurd in a matter of moments, in, and also at the bottom of the hour, Congressman uh, Tom Tiffany, uh, the congressman is on the Judiciary Republican Study Committee. Uh, he also is having a hearing about the border, the border crisis. Part two is coming up this week. He had to, uh, continues to have these talks. I, I would argue domestically there's not a, a, an issue that's more important than that. Congressman Tiffany will be here. Uh, and I come to you from uh, from Florida, from Ponte Vedra. I'll be there today. Tomorrow I'll be at the... Uh, in Ponte Vedra at the Metro Diner to do one of our famous diner shows. I'll have my third of the show down there. We'll get a chance to meet the sheriff and find out what's going on. Also, tomorrow you'll get a chance to hear my interview, which I'm taping today, with uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, it's one of the hottest politicians in the country. Even Democrats would admit to that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. This could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. The idea, I think, is quite far-fetched. <laughs> I ne- it never ceases to amaze me how he's the top doc in this country. China threat. The threat that seems to tie the entire country together. We all see it. They're our number one foe, and we should wake up to the fact this is a slow-moving attack on us. As another federal agency concludes that COVID-19's virus came from, drumroll please, a Chinese lab. Fauci's wrong. Number two, it is really important that whoever runs for president of the United States understands the essence of this conflict. The fact that we are defending not just Ukrainian independence, but we are defending a rules-based system that says might doesn't make right. You can't just extinguish your neighbor. Uh, I see it that same way, uh, Madam Secretary. A party divided. The GOP is increasingly split over support for the Ukraine war. It's simple for me. Every dollar spent helping Ukraine defeat Russia is in America's interest and worth every penny. Number one. We can't be attacking each other so much that we lose sight of. We have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Joe Biden in 2024. Big races lost this cycle because of Republicans refusing to support other Republicans. Unless we start coming together... We will not win in 2024. So she's saying a 2024 pledge, eventual unity demanded as potential Trump challengers emerge. So she's saying, Ronna McDaniel, if you don't pledge to support the nominee, whoever he or she is, you cannot get onto the debate stage. The problem with that, I don't think Donald Trump would ever commit to that. But right now, he's got to feel pretty good about it. Right now, if you look at the Fox News poll in 2024, Republicans asked, who's your preferable nominee? One, number one, 
Donald Trump, 43, Ron DeSantis, 28, Nikki Haley, 7, Mike Pence, 7, Greg Abbott, who hasn't declared. I've not heard much about him declaring 2%. Liz Cheney gets 2%. Mike Pompeo, 1, Christy Nome, 1, uh, Tim Scott, 1%, Glenn Youngkin. By the way, Liz Cheney, whatever you think of her, I know she's a conservative, but there is no way uh, that she has twice as much as Mike Pompeo, even though we're talking 1% or 2%. Okay, second choice for nominee, should Trump not run? 42% 42% DeSantis, 23% Pence, 6% Haley. The other question has second choice for 2023 nominee among DeSantis primary voters. 34% Trump, 27% Haley, 10% Pence. So we know also out in California they did a study. And I say that because I don't expect a Republican to win California, but there's a lot of electoral votes there should it go that deep into the primary season. Berkeley Institute for Government Studies suggests uh, the conservatives are ready to move on from Trump, and they have DeSantis up by 17. If Nikki Haley's in the race, it would be a little bit smaller, but it's still California, Orange County, and company. And by the way, Ron DeSantis, a book out tomorrow. Technically, I got it. I uh, was able to read over the weekend. It's, it's strong. And he'll be out at uh, the Reagan Center and over in uh, Orange County giving speeches. Man, he's looking like a nominee. Uh, by the way, so is a lot of other guys uh, and women. Uh, I think the, Nikki Haley, the more I hear her speak, I really have trouble dismissing her. Listen to her yesterday. Cut to. I think we need to leave the status quo of the past. I mean, you look at how America's falling into socialism. You look at how, you know, this national self-loathing has taken over our country. And we've got real issues, whether it's $31 trillion in debt, whether it's that our children have fallen so far behind, we don't know how to catch them up, whether it's security and crime on our streets or open borders or the fact that our minds are being closed by woke ideology. Is she a legitimate contender? Let's ask Will Hurd, a former Texas congressman, cybersecurity executive, and officer in the CIA. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. Hey, it's always a pleasure to be on, Brian. Thanks for having me. Nikki Haley's polls are low, but I think she's a contender. Do you? I think there's a, there's a lot of people that, that have an open mind in the Republican primary. It's still early in the season. I think we historically have thought uh, that by now we would know who the nominee is. That's not the case. Um, but there's a lot of people. There's, there's, I think Republicans are recognizing Republican primary voters specifically have looked look are still remembering what happened in 2022, where a number of Republicans lost races they should have won, and they're looking at candidate quality and making sure that we have a nominee that can appeal to to Democratic voters. Because let's be honest, like. Democratic elected officials are the ones that are pushing all these crazy theories. When you look at some of the Democratic voters, they're as frustrated with their party leaders as Republicans are. And that's the opportunity going into 2024, whoever goes into the general election. There's a huge part of the country that wants to get back to those values that have made America the greatest country. And and that's where I think Republican voters are saying, hey, who's going to give us the best chance to do that? And let's have conservative leadership for 12 years. Not just two years, not just four years. Let's have a, a, a long history. And, and many people that have been voting ha- don't remember that that was the norm. Um, so that's the opportunity we have in, in the party. Uh, Congressman, you, with your CIA background, I think that no one has to tell you about the danger that's emerging with China. And I don't want to put words in your mouth how making sure Russia is not successful in Ukraine is in America's best interest. But I firmly believe that. And I think that uh, a lot of people on the right do not. Mm-hmm. And that number is growing. 
And I think a lot has to do with the fact that everything Joe Biden does, no one has confidence with his foreign policy, number one. Number two is that um, I, I think fundamentally people don't want to uh, spend money over there. They, why, are we, why are we wasting this money? Why, you know, why can't we spend it at home? What do you think of those theories? Look, Brian, I, I appreciated your, your, what you said at the top of the hour right, on, on this conflict and why it's important. And, and let's start with can Ukraine win a war against Russia? Absolutely they can, and they're going to need our help. Why should we care? Why should Americans care about sending dollars over, over to Ukraine? The United States of America has become one of the great – has become the greatest country on the history of the planet because we built an international system that benefits us. And part of that international system is using our hard power and our soft power in order to build networks around the world. And so when it comes to a place like Ukraine, in the late 90s, when Ukraine, when, when, when Russia fell and the Soviet Union collapsed and the Ukrainians had one of the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons, they said, hey, as a new country, we don't want these things, but we need some security guarantees. So the United States, the UK, Russia even, and France said, yeah, we're going to take care of you. So one, we have gone back on some of these promises in order to defend people. Fixing the problem over there is a fraction of the cost before it becomes a problem here in in the United States. And so the only way that we in the United States is going to continue to ensure that this century, the 21st century, stays the American century is if we have allies. Because this century is going to be defined between the struggle between the United States and the Chinese government. And I I always say government. It's not the Chinese people. It's not the Chinese culture. It's not Chinese Americans. The beef is with the Chinese government. And, And that means we have to show to our friends that we have their backs and we have to show to our enemies that uh, you can't get away with invading an independent country. And so the problem that we had, if we would have done all the, the, the help and given all the equipment and weapons that we've given the Ukraine over, Ukrainians over the last year, if we would have done that in 2008, if we would have done that in 2014, we probably wouldn't be in the situation that we're in now. And so the quicker the Ukrainians can win this war, the better it is for us. If the Chinese is go- are going to sell kamikaze drones to the Russians, then guess what? We should be giving air power uh, to the Ukrainians. Uh, the Ukrainians just want help with having the tools. They're going to do the fighting themselves. And the quicker this ends, and, and when I mean ends, that means all Russians get out of Ukraine territory, including Crimea, um, the better it is going to be for us and long term for the international system that we built that led us to having one of the greatest qualities of life mm. the world has ever seen. So when people listen to you, Congressman, they should know not only uh, a congressman who has been able to see a lot of the intelligence uh, for all your years in Washington, but also your years in the CIA. So you're not a rah-rah here, uh, let's just hope. You say that from a, a practical standpoint, and here's the frustration. Jake Sullivan reportedly is the force behind Biden on what they get and what they don't get, why they didn't get high Mars until late, why they didn't get the Patriot system until late and it still hasn't been deployed yet, why we're hesitating on tanks and we're going to build them from scratch rather than give them those tanks that we have. And listen to this when it comes to F-16s, cut eight. F-16s are a question for a later time, and that's why President Biden said that for now, he's not moving forward with those. So as far as we're concerned, 
the U.S. effort has got to be to get Ukraine the, the tools it needs. You know, for and if I could just cut him off, I just wanted you to hear that line because I can't hear him talk anymore. He is the voice in Biden's ear, and he's saying that's not the question for now. Are you insane? Look, he is by, by saying that. And, and, and what's very frustrating about all this is listen to the Ukrainians on the ground who are fighting this war. I know. Um, the fact that you have a number of commercial companies that are providing the Ukrainians intelligence and help and support on the ground and allow them to be more effective, um, we can be doing so much more, especially with providing them the air superiority, the ability to to, to create a no-fly zone uh, around Ukraine. And, and, and part of the problem is that uh, President Biden's foreign policy staff still adhere to what I consider to be a little bit of an archaic philosophy of escalation. If we do something, if we provide something, then that's going to cause the Russians to escalate. Well, let's look at in, in the last couple of months when the Iranians provided the Russians drones to provide attacks to kill innocent people in Ukraine. Did we escalate anything against against the Iranians? This is why the Chinese are even evaluating providing these these Chinese kamikaze drones um, because they think, hey, America is not going to do anything. Allegedly, privately, um, the Biden administration is telling the the Chinese government what they're willing to do. Uh, if if the Chinese provide this kind of military support, but you're right, we have to. You know, I, you know, I, I boil our foreign policy down to a simple um, uh, philosophy that I learned. You know, uh, seeing our enemies up close and personal, whether it was overseas as an undercover CIA officer in Congress, building a cybersecurity company, or now working with some of the greatest technology companies in the world. Your enemies should fear you and your friends should love you, not the other way around. And this is vital to us. And the thing is, Congressman, we want to live in a world with people like us and the Canadians and the Australians that we can rationalize with. They can get mad at each other. We can get mad at each other. We can be disappointed with each other. But we can rationalize a way out of it. Our enemies aren't like that. And, And we continue to pretend as if they are. And if you want to go back in time, I'll go back too, because when Barack Obama takes over and says, hey, Vladimir Putin, I hear you're upset about the weapons defense system um, in Poland and uh, in another one of the, your former Eastern satellites, we'll take them out. Vladimir Putin looked at that as weakness. When Joe Biden comes in and says, we're going to go back to the New START Treaty, he looked at that as weakness. When he said, you can go ahead and finish off Nord Stream 2, he looked at that as weakness. The Canadians would say, what a great idea. The Australians would say, what a great country America is. But not our enemies. We don't seem to know the difference. Look, you're absolutely right. Oh, and by the way. Things are only going to get more complicated. You know, the, the things are only going to get scarier with the advent of some of these new technologies. Um, you know, we're, we've been talking about the Wuhan lab and, and COVID-19. My fear is not whether the next COVID comes out of a lab or a market. You know it market. did, right? Yeah, but it, look, we, we, we have some evidence. It's, 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 a, it's a theory that should not be dismissed. It was never a conspiracy theory. Um, we need to continue to investigate and understand where COVID came from. And, and here's what we do know. The Chinese lied about their role. The Chinese uh, 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 covered up their, their responsibilities and, 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 and involvement in this. But, but we need to be thinking about when the next COVID comes from a Department of Defense, when it gets weaponized. When you, you know, the, there's, there's, a, there's a technology that we really don't talk a lot about, synthetic biology or synbio, right? This is – we have the ability today – to program DNA the way we program computer code. 
And the ability to weaponize something is at the highest it's ever been. So I'm afraid, like, are we ready? Are we ready to detect if the Russian military or the Chinese military gets this technology and tries to weaponize it? How are we prepared for that? And and these are some of the questions that we have to be thinking about uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence and operating in de- denied uh, communications divide. It's super complicated. And so and, and the fact that this administration is, is wringing their hands on giving F-16s is absolutely crazy. And what does this mean, all mean for Taiwan? You know, like like we shouldn't make the same mistakes when it comes to the next potential conflict, which is likely to be over Taiwan, that we have made with Ukraine. We're not learning this, these lessons. And this administration um, is, right. is, is adhering to old-fashioned um, foreign policy ideas that is going to ultimately put the United States and America in a position where we can lose um, our status as the greatest superpower on the planet. And Congressman, they would listen to you. You don't have a reputation as a firebrand that speaks emotionally. You speak out of such experience. And what you're referring to is the Energy Department joined in the lab leak theory uh, that didn't come from natural environment. Will Hurd, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. All right. Back in a moment and with your calls. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back. We have a couple of minutes. I went way with Congressman Hurd uh, with the CIA background, with his known his, his uh, experience in intelligence and cybersecurity, as well as being in Congress at the border. Uh, the, I could go on with him for two hours, and I probably couldn't hit all of his area of his expertise. When we come back, though, Congressman Tim Tiffany's uh, Tom Tiffany's going to be with us. He's going to be talking a little bit more about the border, and then I'll finish up with your calls at one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. But the other news that we are uh, discussing today is with the, the whole lab leak theory. I touched on it at the end. So it turns out the Energy Department joins the FBI in saying what Tom Cotton said originally: that of course this pandemic. This COVID-19 virus came from the lab. Of course it did. We said it. When Tom Cotton said it, they talked about irresponsible, how irresponsible he was. They talked about these conspiracy theories uh, are they have based in nothing. The thing that changed it all, and I'll play it this hour, is believe it or not, John Stewart, when he pops out of the farm he's on where he saves cows, and the one on Stephen Colbert's show, and basically bucked conventional wisdom on the Democratic side and said, of course it came from a lab. Let me see where the pandemic started, right near a lab. Or I think a platypus uh, had some type of relations with a hawk. And that is the reason why we have all these issues. That was, uh, that just jarred everyone on the left. Again, whatever you think of John Stewart, the show has not been the same without him. The guy uh, moves bounds in terms of his opinion. We come back, Congressman... Uh, Tom Tiffany. And then we take your calls. Brian Kilmeade. So glad you're here.
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Congressman Tom Tiffany joins us right now, Judiciary Republican Study Committee, the uh, Republican out of Wisconsin. Congressman, welcome back. Brian, it's great to join you this morning. Hey, you know, first off, I, I would hard to find, uh, personally, I don't think there's a bigger issue in the country than what's going on at the border right now. And now the investigation's begun. You have the border crisis part two. Examine the Department of Homeland Security's operations of the southwest border. I mean, can you figure out what's going on? Because this isn't a bad policy. I feel like it's a no policy. Yeah, it, I mean, it's wide open borders. It started January 20th of 2021. President Biden shut down the pipeline uh, for prosperity, for energy independence. He opened up the pipeline of illegal immigration into our country. And I've been as far south as Panama to the Darien Gap, Brian, wow. to see what is happening. And this is, I believe, Brian, this is the biggest human trafficking operation, perhaps in the history of the world. And your United States government, as a result of the Biden administration, is complicit in this. They're complicit with the cartels. They're complicit with the United Nations via the organization of uh, International Organization of Migration. I mean, it is industrialized at this point, bringing people across our border. You know, people think it's natural occurrence. Uh, they say, well, you know, people are just looking for a better life. They're looking to come here. It's just one of those times in which the people of the world are migrating and they're coming here. This is, this is, a, this is not something that's happening organically. It's because the word is out. This is the time to come to the world's best country. And the question is, in Yuma in particular, when you did this study, Arizona still voted for these for a Democratic governor, a Democratic senator to put Mark, keep Mark Kelly in place. And how bad can it be if they keep putting these people there? Yes, it's amazing. So when we were down to Yuma last week and by the way, uh, official hearing of the Judiciary Committee and no Democrats showed up. Not a single one showed up for our hearing down in Yuma. And what was really interesting, we had this at the, at the city hall, the hearing at the city hall in Yuma. And the um, um, I think about the hearings we have in Washington, D.C. There were more people at that hearing in Yuma. And that's why we Republicans in the House of Representatives, we need to have more hearings like this all around the country because the American people care and you really get to hear from them how they're being overrun in places like Yuma, Arizona. So what did you hear from them that you weren't able to find out was staying in Washington? So the first, we um, started off the day with a tour. We went to a local hospital, $26 million in uncompensated care. $26 million in uncompensated care to this hospital as a result of the migrants. And by the way, that doesn't include the uncompensated care they had beyond that for people who are American citizens. Went to a local food bank. They are overrun. You talk to the farmers. By the way, I didn't realize this. Most of the greens through the um, uh, winter months come out of Yuma, where they irrigate their crops and they do a terrific job of helping feed America, but their crops are being destroyed when migrants come in in force and just trample through their field. They are being overrun, and as you know, Brian, it is like all 48 states. I know it's why somebody like me from Wisconsin goes on a trip like this, because we're being overrun also. Every state's a border state. You know what's interesting is there was a conventional wisdom around Romney's time when Romney lost as well. Republicans got to get with it. When you talk about the border and enforcing the border, it's a uh, it's misinterpreted in the Hispanic community that you don't you know that you are thinking they're less than 
where you're being uh, biased against Hispanics. And that is not the case. Trump proved that. Governor DeSantis proved that. Because letting the what are Democrats thinking? They're thinking these are going to be our future voters. If I can get them here and find a way to get them to the ballot box, when aren't they seeing that they're losing more Hispanic vote every election cycle? Yeah, I don't know what they're seeing, but it is the message that we need to get out. And that's one of the things we heard down there is that people in the Hispanic community down there, they're like, hey, how about us? Why do these people get to just come across the border when we either did it the right way or they have something, they use the term shoot, C-H-U-T-E. We're in the shoot waiting to be able to get legalized in America. Well, they're put to the back of the bus, Brian, and you have all these people coming from 126 countries from around the world. They get to get in first, and they did it illegally. Everything about this is wrong, and there's more and more people, especially Hispanics, that are understanding that. And I would hope all ethnic minorities would understand this in America at this point, because your standard of living is being devalued as a result of this. Congressman Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin with us, just fresh off a border where he's really trying to dominate it and understand exactly what's going on in order to attack the problem. So color me naive, but I was encouraged that Henry Cuellar uh, met with Akeem Jeffries uh, at the border. And my sense is, unless you're serious, you don't meet with Henry Cuellar because he's like you. He knows the exact problem, couldn't care less about Republican or Democrat. That's why President Biden doesn't meet with him. They have officials for the last 8, 10 years come down there on the Democratic side. They don't want to come in and, and deal with him. He would answer all their questions. They usually don't inform him. Is progress being made? You know, you would hope so. You'd hope that the pressure is building so that the dam is going to break. But remember one thing, um, and, and I, I emphasize, emphasize this to people, especially back home. This is not about fixing illegal immigration, Brian. It is, number one, about securing the border. Then you deal with the illegal immigration issue. Secure the border first. And I think it's really important that we emphasize that because I think most people understand that when you say this is about securing the border first and we'll deal with the immigration problem after that and make sure it works for the American people, right? I would think so. Uh, Also, I just want to get your take, Congressman, on the revelation over the weekend uh, that uh, the Energy Department says most likely COVID-19 came from a Chinese lab. So the cover in the New York Post, it's the lead story. And, of course, there's other people unnamed that say they don't put much credence in it. But now the FBI has joined the energy department. The energy department has joined the FBI in saying it came from a lab. Uh, What is your when are you guys tackling COVID-19 and what's your reaction to the energy uh, energy's conclusion? Well, it's about time. And if there would have been a legitimate science allowed to be able to work, If doctors would not have eminent doctors, Brian, who I suspect you've interviewed, would not have had their um, um, their information squelched by the federal government. I mean, this would never have happened. It is about time that this gets out there. I'm not sure what our leadership in the House has planned for this. I suspect they do. I just don't know what it is. But this is one of the key issues. In addition to the weaponization of our intelligence agencies, especially the FBI, 
That and COVID, I think, are two of the absolute most critical issues that we need to that we need to inform the American people about what has gone wrong. Because this goes back to the fundamentals, doesn't it, Brian? I mean, the First Amendment, being able to have open, honest science, it all went out the door over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable that, so, so just so you know what you're up against, if you want to do an honest investigation, you would think it works in everyone's interest to enforce the border, number one. Number two, to identify China as the number one military and economic antagonist of ours. Our number one, not rival, and I dare I say enemy. You should be unifying. And then the, the all-out push to find out where COVID-9 started. Listen to Jake Sullivan on these revelations. Cut 17. There is a variety of views in the intelligence community. Some elements of the intelligence community have reached conclusions on one side, some on the other. A number of them have said they just don't have enough information to be sure. And if we gain any further insider information, we will share it with Congress. See, see, did you, you hear his delivery. You hear his lack of interest. He wants a different topic. He wants to parry this conversation. Why is it not in our interest to get to the bottom of that? Brian, listen to the one term that he used there. Some elements. So we, those of us that have been skeptical... And I think about our senator from Wisconsin, Senator Johnson, who did yeoman's work over the last three years, exposing what is going on. And he, refer, Jake Sullivan, refers to those of us that were skeptical as elements. You can see how they're trying to um, they're, they're trying to say, we just have to move on here. We cannot move on, Brian. There needs to be an honest uh, appraisal of what has happened here with COVID. Congressman, what's your next step with the border? Uh, next step with the border, um, we have a series of bills that are teed up here that we're waking, working our way through. It's part of the reason that we did the hearing down in Yuma. We want to make sure these are good bills for securing the border. And uh, I believe Chairman Jordan is going to be working through this process over the next few weeks. I hope, and this is just me speaking, no one else on the committee, um, I would hope over the next couple months that we can get a series of bills teed up to secure the border and get the, get the 218 votes. It's going to be a heavy lift, but I'm hoping we can get to 218, get them out of the House. And I think that really becomes strong messaging to the American people that House Republicans are serious about securing the border dealing with perhaps the most important issue that's before us here in the early part of the 21st century. It, it just see there are difficult things. I always bring this up. Stem cell research, great, smart people debating it back and forth. This is not a hard issue. This is a, such an easy issue. And, you know, how to do it used to be the biggest debate. You know, do we pressure the Central and South American countries? What are we doing with the places from horrible places like Venezuela and Cuba? You know, and now we're just dealing with an administration that just wants it to go away, but it's only getting worse. Uh, I don't envy you, but I hope you're able to make some progress. Congressman Tom Tiffany, thank you. Brian, great to join you today and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. we come back, we haven't talked about the Ukraine. I didn't get into much detail in Ron DeSantis' big rollout. And Donald Trump uh, still leading by 20 points in the Republican poll. Many are surprised by that. Are you? 1-866-408-7669. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. It's just so maddening to hear his voice when you think, oh, well, I've never really dealt with viruses before. I, I, he's spent his whole life since the 1980s for dealing with viruses. I guess he's right, but wasn't there a lab right next door? Was it? I mean, what, what do you mean it jumped from? Did you see the way they hosed everything out in that lab? How they murdered the, uh, they basically murdered the scientists who came out. This came from a lab leak. And then. Not according to Anthony Fauci, most believe. No, he believes, and everyone else is afraid to get their funding taken away because he's in control of all of it. Then yesterday it comes out, the Energy, uh, energy Department joins the lab leak theory. Uh, yeah, now they say the mishap uh, happened at the lab. Uh, the FBI has moderate confidence he came from the lab. There is no animal source of the virus, and they were experimenting in the lab with four other agencies. Uh, they were experimenting in the lab with, uh, with this virus. The Energy Department spokesman said this to Fox News. The Department of Energy continues to support thorough, careful, and objective work of our intelligence professionals. But they got new information, we don't know what it is, that said, that makes them think it came from a lab. It it came from the lab. We all know it came from a lab. We all know logically it came from a lab. And one of the reasons is, I think I was going interviewing Tom Cotton when he said this, cut 19. This virus did not originate in the Wuhan animal market. Several of the original cases did not have any contact with that food market. The virus went into that food market before it came out of that food market. Because of China's duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning, we need to at least ask the question to see what the evidence says. And China right now is not giving any evidence on that question at all. So it's most discouraging and... You know, we hear about this from many different walks of life. Jonathan Turley, in particular, with a column today in the New York Post, probably elsewhere. The censorship is the bigger story. The censorship of people like Tom Cotton. They said he's a conspiracy theorist with no proof. He put his logic together with the people he knew, with the context he had, and said this in February of 2020. When Anthony Fauci was still telling people that the virus would not be a problem here, he says it's going to be a problem. Hey, President Trump, stop travel from China. They're letting their people travel. Do not let these people come here. Guess where they went to Italy? Guess who got hit the hardest? Italy. Senator Tom Cotton is solely responsible. Once again, he does not want any credit. He wants it to be a learning moment. So his flashback quote. Uh, this is the Washington Post on Tom Cotton, what he just said. He said this, Senator Tom Cotton repeated a fringe theory suggesting the ongoing spread of a coronavirus is connected to a research in the disease-ravaged epicenter of Wuhan, China. Cotton references a laboratory in the city, the Wuhan lab. In an interview on Fox News Sunday morning, he said the lab was near a market. Some scientists initially uh, initially said it was the starting point of the virus. Yes, Cotton acknowledged there is no evidence uh, the disease region of the lab. Instead, he suggests it's necessary to ask Chinese authorities about the possibility, fanning the embers of the theory that has been repeatedly disputed by experts. So that's the problem. 
It's you don't want to believe, you don't want to believe. You can't dismiss it. It's a sitting senator with military background, Ivy League education, fought in the military, fought in the infantry. This guy was in Congress, goes to the Senate on the Intelligence Committee and says, this is what matters. Got to dismiss it as a fringe theory. It's crazy. Eric, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Um, I'm in a county called Volusia. Ron DeSantis used to be my congressman. And I think he's the greatest governor we ever had. Um, That said, I'm behind Donald Trump still. I don't want to lose Ron DeSantis as a second-term governor. I think we still need him here. I would, in the perfect scenario, Trump would pick Ron DeSantis as his VP. Never. But I owe Donald. I owe Donald Trump my vote. He's done so. Can you imagine if? Lindsey Graham wasn't turned against him because of this fake story. If Donald Trump was unopposed his, his, during his term, the power that that guy had, he could what have done so much What are you talking about, Lindsey Graham? What do you mean, Lindsey Graham? Lindsey Graham and a couple other Republicans were resistant to him because they believed the Russian collusion story. No. Lindsey Graham wasn't Eric, always that's on That's a huge leap. Listen, he was upset. He said, let's do an, if, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. They never should have green-lighted that special counsel. Sessions never should have taken that job. He never should have just removed himself. Never should have done a bunch of things. But Lindsey Graham is not the problem. Lindsey Graham has already endorsed Donald Trump. I don't think outside government, uh, Governor Henry McMaster of South Carolina and maybe Jim Jordan, I don't know anybody else that, that said Donald Trump's my guy yet. Uh, Paul Ryan said, if Donald Trump's the nominee, I'm not even going to the Republican convention. Take it for what that's worth. It's going to be an interesting fight. I'm just very curious to see how people, when Donald Trump starts going at DeSantis and Nikki Haley and others, what are they going to say back? Right now, they're saying, he's my friend. No problem. New generation. That's not going to fly long term. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. I come to you usually from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but right now in uh, St. John's County in uh, Florida, where tomorrow I'll be at the Metro Diner. Hopefully, everybody listening on. Uh, listening in the Ponte Vedra WOKV affiliate will come down, have a chance to, I don't want to miss the show, but have a chance to uh, have travel for, for work. And I, I figured let's just queue it up and let's do a diner show. And we're going to do that tomorrow on TV. But right now, uh, let me urge you to call one 866 Big hour, uh, former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper at the bottom of the hour and Michael Goodwin standing by from the New York Post. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. This could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. The idea... I think is quite far-fetched. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. China threat. The threat that seems to tie the country together. They are our number one foe, and we should wake up to the slow-moving attack. Another federal agency, this is why we rolled Anthony Fauci, and concludes that COVID-19, the virus, came from a Chinese lab. When is he going to wake up? Number two. It is really important that whoever runs for president of the United States understands 
the essence of this conflict. The fact that we are defending not just Ukrainian independence, but we are defending a rules-based system that says might doesn't make right. You can't just extinguish your neighbor. I 100% agree. A party divided. The GOP is increasingly split over the support for the Ukraine war. It's simple for me. Every dollar spent helping Ukraine defeat Russia is America's is in America's interest and worth every penny. Number one. We can't be attacking each other so much that we lose sight of. We have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Joe Biden in 2024. Big races lost this cycle because of Republicans refusing to support other Republicans. Unless we start coming together, we will not win in 2024. Right. So she has everyone want to sign a pledge before the debate in August that they will support the winner. Problem? Donald Trump won't sign it. A pledge of eventual unity demanded. And by the way, uh, 45 has to feel great about the, least, uh, the latest Fox poll. Is that up by 20? Uh, right now for on the Republican side, among Republican voters in the primary. So let's bring in Michael Goodwin. No stranger to any of these candidates or the issues that Joe Biden is dealing with on a regular basis. Welcome, Michael. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. So are you surprised by this Fox poll? Let me just tell our listeners what it says. Uh, Donald Trump with 43 percent of the Republican uh, votes when polled, 28 percent for DeSantis, seven for Haley, seven for Pence. Two for Abbott, two for Cheney, and then Noam, Pompeo, Scott, Youngkin all have one. Are you surprised by that? I mean, who, polls are polls, but it does show that Trump is is hardly out uh, in the GOP. Well, that's right, Brian. Um, look, it, it is something of an outlier uh, of the more recent polls, which True. have uh, uh, Trump and DeSantis you know, close. Another one had DeSantis with a big lead. So having Trump with this kind of lead at this point is is a new and different finding. Look, I, I think the, the overall picture is that we're all waiting to find out what really is the following that Donald Trump still has in the Republican Party. Um, if it is, you know, as big as this poll says, and that there's nobody else, even if even if you eliminate all of the others, it, he would still be very competitive with DeSantis if it were just a two-person race. Um, I mean, that remains to be seen. If, if at some point it becomes a two-person race, what ha- where do all these other votes go uh, for, all the, for all the other candidates? Nonetheless, uh, he, he, is, he is going to be a formidable candidate in the Republican primary process. And if it just convinces me that right now, the Repu- if if Trump is not going to support the winner, if it's not him, uh, if he's going to sit it out or start a third party, it just confirms what what I've believed all along, Brian, which is that right now the Republicans cannot win with Trump and they cannot win without Trump. So this is the dilemma, and uh, I think this this. Uh, effort to get them all to sign a pledge is is the right attitude, meaning we have to unite the party. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Michael Goodwin, you're referring to what Ronna McDaniel said yesterday on CNN. Cut one. We can't be attacking each other so much that we lose sight of. We have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Joe Biden in 2024. And we may have divisive primaries and dif- differences of opinions. But in the end, we have to settle those to, to win the big picture, which is governing our country and doing the right thing by the American people. We have to come together as a party. We saw big races lost this cycle because of Republicans refusing to support other Republicans. And unless we fix this in our party, unless we start coming together, 
we will not win in 2024. So if she holds to that and the August debate starts and Donald Trump says, I'm not going to support it, depends who the nominee is, then does Donald Trump benefit by not debating? That's a that's an interesting uh, question, Brian. Um, look, he he sort of has the whip hand here uh, because the party needs him at least as much as he needs the party, and so he he could play it that way. He could say, "Well, I'll do this debate, but not that one," and you you would see television viewership fall. Right. Even even the Democrats love watching Trump. I mean, they they kind of love to hate him. And so, look, I I think he you know, what's the great Reggie Jackson line? You know, I'm the straw that stirs the drink. Right. Donald Trump is the straw that still stirs the Republican Party. And if they I don't see how they solve this problem other than by him winning the nomination, in which case he will almost certainly lose the general election. That's what the polls are telling us right now. Yes, uh, unless we um, we don't know what we don't know, uh, if I can quote uh, Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> but I would say this. Known, Reggie known Jack- but, and known unknowns. Right. I would say <laughs> Reggie Jackson was wrong. It was Thurman Munson, and that was the problem. <laughs> Uh, and but he is, you know, he's the definitely the big character. But Ron DeSantis, with his book rollout and with the donors lining up, he's never had this before. Although I would say I'll correct myself. Jeb Bush had all the donors, too. So that's that I'll, I'll correct. I'll stand corrected on that. But part of the reason don't you think tactically that's part of the reason why you will uh, Ron DeSantis is avoid attacking back. And Nikki Haley, for the most part, has avoided attacking back at the present because it doesn't matter how mad you get. I can't win without his supporters. So you don't want to make the supporters make a decision. So far, that's why Ron DeSantis will just not say anything, even though the insults are beginning to fly uh, pretty fast. Look, I think the only way for anyone to win the primary is to you, at, at some point, if you're going to win the nomination, you're going to have to defeat Donald Trump. And so you're right. I think that they're biding their time. They don't want to get into a mud bath with him at this point because he'll drown them. And so they've got to, they've got to establish a following before they can fight back and fight for the Trump voters. I think that's the other, the other challenge, too. You want to defeat Trump, but you don't want to drive away exactly. his voters if you can. And so I, I just think this whole pathway to the nomination uh, between now and the summer, really, the, the late, late spring, early summer of 24, is littered with landmines for, for all the Republican candidates. And then even if you were to get into a two-person race, which I think is the only way anybody can win this, uh, short of Trump dropping out for some perhaps health reason or something like that, but uh, and maybe he maybe he'll be indicted and maybe, he, you know, he, even that would uh, Fuel. drive him for the race. But I doubt it. But so I think for all of these Republicans, there's just a continuing calculation. Do I hit him back? What do I say? I How do I hit him back? Because he will unleash the mud, a mountain of mud on you and his supporters will love it. And if they and if he really has 40 or 41 percent, I guess, as the Fox poll shows, I mean, that 
that is a huge hill to overcome for any of these other candidates, some of whom, as you say, are pulling in single digits. So how they get from here to there, I don't see it. I just think it's it's going to be a two-person race, DeSantis and Trump. And I think DeSantis himself is not sure how to do this. I mean, he's kind of resisted, you know, trying to throw a straight-on punch. It's almost oblique references uh, to Trump. I don't think he uses Trump's name. I don't think he says this anything nice directly about, it, about, about his him. book. Michael, he, I just got through almost all of his book. I have him today. You'll, you'll hear this interview tomorrow. And he just chronicles all the things that he did. We're helping him out with the Army Corps of Engineers, getting them to help him out with this algae issue here, uh, getting uh, uh, also uh, working with them on the moving the embassy, applauds that, what he sees. And he just talked about how Donald Trump was the perfect antidote from what he was seeing after he got back from the military. So there's not one negative word about Trump in his book. But he doesn't go out of his rent to say what a you know, he doesn't flower him with praise either. I want to talk about the other candidate, uh, the current president of the United States. Uh, is he going to run again? Is he going to make it official? Well, Greg Craig, who is, uh, legal, uh, had a legal role with Obama as well as Clinton, mm-hmm. wrote this in today's New York Times. Considering the age factor, many experts agree that Mr. Biden is much more likely to die within the decade than a man 10 years younger. He's the oldest man ever to be sworn into office. Only four presidents have died of natural causes while in office. And when elected, none of four were aged by today's standards. The last president to die of natural causes in office was Roosevelt. He was just 63. Biden is showing his age because he has been more active on the national stage for so many decades. His current condition compares unfavorably with memories of his former self. People remember him for what he didn't. Uh, when he didn't whisper or mumble, when his gait was not that of someone concerned about tripping or falling. I mean, this is all the things that people have been saying, just sober-minded people. He's saying it in an editorial, saying that let the, let the Democrats pick his running mate and let them know if you elect him where there's somebody formidable to step in, dump Harris, is what he's saying, and Biden is too old, is what he's saying. Significant? I think it is. Look, uh, every day that Biden doesn't announce, I think, uh, invites more of this kind of speculation and an idea of batting around different approaches. And look, I think the the Harris uh, character is is a complicating factor, because if you're going to nominate Biden, knowing he's unlikely to finish the four years, then then what? And if it's if it's Harris, I think that weighs on Biden in, in the election because nobody, nobody wants Kamala Harris as president of the United States. I mean, even certainly all you have to do is get the people who all worked for her and ran away from her like a ghost uh, to see that uh, she is she can't even run a candy store. I mean, that 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 would be an upgrade for her. She cannot do anything that requires leadership, civility, thinking. I mean, she is, I I have never seen a person emerge on the public stage and crater the way she has. And (laughs) uh, look, she was picked to be vice president because of her gender and her race. We see what a flop that is. That's when you approach important jobs that way, you're likely to end up with a disaster because merit did not enter into the calculation. And I'll just take on to that. And listen, I think you're 100% right. You've been saying it all along. I just thought it was significant that a Democrat uh, would write that. But lastly, I, it just is, diminishes 
the people listening out there that have a job and we're told you're the first Hispanic female lesbian. Congratulations. Excuse me. I thought I was best qualified. People yeah. who work hard their whole life to achieve things don't want to be diminished by being told it's all about their race, their gender, and their sexuality. And that was driven to me with this whole celebrities getting into colleges thing. And then the African-Americans on these campus and Ivy Leaguers say, now you know how we feel. When you see a celebrity walking across campus, they just think, you know, when, they just think the only reason you're there is because you're a celebrity. Uh, and then when you see a black person on campus, well, the only reason you're there is because you're a affirmative action uh, admission. And a lot of times that's not the case. And, they, you know, they, they hate the perception. So the perception, diminishing somebody's accomplishments and saying you got it because of your race is such an insult. And that's why I think at this point in this country, that's a perfect example of the downside of doing what he did. I want a woman and I want a minority. That eliminated Klobuchar and Governor Whitmer, and I think they're both awful, but it doesn't matter. They're much more competent than she is. And then it stuck you with Harris, who you didn't like and your wife hates and is totally incompetent. Final thought? Well, Brian, I, uh, that's why I think a lot of Americans are drawn to sports. It, it is undeniably about merit. Uh, the race doesn't enter into it uh, because everybody wants to win. And so the coaches and the owners, they pick the players who are yep. going to help them win, whatever the sport. And that's why I think sports has such a hold on American life. And I think that as we get deeper, deeper into this woke culture where race and, and everything else and ethnicity and income, all of that play a bigger role in society at large, it, it plays no role in sports. And I think sports uh, are, are a great outlet for people who can say, ha, ah, I can just I come know. and watch the game and watch the best players play against each other. That's so refreshing. Unfortunately, it's now become uh, almost obsolete in the rest of America. In society, absolutely. You want me to go back to sports, don't you, Michael? I get it. <laughs> I, I get to, I'm reading between the lines. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. Always great. My, my pleasure, Brian. All right, 1-866-408-7669. Keep in mind, if you ever miss the show live, you get the podcast, briankillmeadshow.com, wherever you get podcasts, you could download it. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to take the opportunity to, to lay out uh, what, how diverse the president's cabinet has been, how diverse the president's administration has been. Uh, the cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. The cabinet is majority female for the first time in history. A majority of White House senior staff identify as female. Forty percent of White House senior staff identify as part of the racially diverse communities. And a record seven assistants to the presidents are openly LGBTQ+. So, again, this is something that the president prides himself on, uh, that he ha actually has taken action to show uh, the diversity of this administration. It's just sickening because anybody who got that job in the White House wants to know that they earned it. Now they think they're, they're fitting a they're checking a box. That's Thursday from the press room. She's just so happy. We did all this. But what you're doing is you're diminishing all these people and letting them know you got the job because of the, your uh, skin color, your sexual preference, your gender. Can you just get me the best people? You have to run the best country. 
please. There was a time when people were prevented from doing things because of the color of their skin or because women weren't allowed to vote till 1919. But this is 2023. I think we could get the best people, don't you think? Too much is at stake. And we're seeing it over and over again. You just heard Michael Goodwin. And there's not one Democrat who denies anything Michael said about the vice president. one 866 We come back. We dip into the Ukraine war. And the reason we have to support the Ukrainians and why Jake Sullivan is still holding back and how wrong that is. Mark Esper next. Don't move. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. F-16s are a question for a later time, and that's why President Biden said that for now, he's not moving forward with those. So as far as we're concerned, the U.S. effort has got to be to get Ukraine the the tools it needs for the mission at hand. And the mission at hand is to have a successful counteroffensive where Ukraine is able to take back its own territory away from the hands of the Russians. Not giving them the F-15, 16s that they need now. Now's not the time to talk about it. Is that the way it should be handled? That's the National Security Advisor, evidently the one who's pulling the strings for Joe Biden. And the one who even stopped Anthony Blinken wants to give him the fighter jets, reportedly, and the attackums, But Jake Sullivan won't. And this guy working behind the scenes, by the way, in the whole Russia collusion thing, working on CNN. With me right now is Secretary of Defense Mark Esper, former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper. Mr. Secretary, is that the right attitude to have? Well, good morning, Brian. Uh, no, it's not. Look, uh, I've, I've been arguing for quite some time now that we need to provide the Ukrainians uh, what they need when they need it. And too often, uh, my criticism of this administration has, has been that we've dragged our feet. We've been self-deterred and late, whether it's uh, stingers or HIMARS or Patriots or tanks, and now it's F-16s. And once again, it seems to me that we're giving them just enough not to lose, but not enough to win. And that's the problem. I agree with you. I would also add something else to it is that Poland wants to give them their F-15s, F-16s that they got from us. Do we have to give them permission to give the American fighter jets, which they bought, I assume, to Ukraine? Yes, we do. Under under our, our laws, and most countries' laws, there are re-ex, what are called re-export uh, agreements or conditions to to transfer major defense items like this. So that's kind of built into it. But look, the, the – uh, what needs to be teased out here and asked to the White House is this. On one hand, you, we saw where President Biden said just last night that the Ukrainians do not need F-16s, and he said he's being told that by his senior leaders. And yet we know a week or two ago in Munich, the uh, Supreme Allied Commander of Europe, uh, General Chris Cavoli, somebody I know and respect, said privately to lawmakers that the Ukrainians definitely need F-16s. So clearly the most senior officer closest to the fight in Europe – is saying something very different, and uh, that needs to be raised and asked why we aren't listening to to those commanders. Right. Uh, Here's Michael McCall, cut 14. I know the administration says uh, as long as it takes. I think with the right weapons, it shouldn't take so long. And quite frankly, Martha, this whole thing is taking too long, and it really didn't have to happen this way. This was a bipartisan delegation uh, to Munich. Um, My delegation in in, uh, Ukraine all agreed with Zelensky that the attackums and the F-16s were appropriate right now. I talked to General Milley last night. I don't think it's off the table. I think with enough pressure from Congress on both sides of the aisle, uh, we can get into Ukraine what they really need to win this fight. 
And it's Jake Sullivan that's doing it. I mean, there's people with power in every administration. This guy with, I I think, zero credibility is deciding what's going to happen with the key military battlefield right now, which, by the way, more and more Republicans are are leaving this let's uh, Ukraine at all cost camp. We're just uh, too self-deterred, uh, uh, Brian. That's that's a problem. And, and what the congressman just said is is right. If we had given the Ukrainians uh, what they needed what, when they asked for it, you could have seen a point in the fall when uh, Russia was running out of manpower. If you recall, they had the conscription of three hundred thousand people. And when Ukraine went on the offensive, if we if they had had all those tools that they've been asking for, then there's a good chance they might have pushed Russia all the way out of the Donbass and at least uh, secured a much, much larger chunk of their country and would have been in position to launch a spring counteroffensive again here in the coming weeks. Instead, what we seem to be doing is uh, Russia soon is going to start pouring all these conscripts back into Ukraine, and they're going to launch. We're we're already seeing it, the early stages of it. Russia is going to launch its own offensive. And that's uh, and all it is is dragging out this war. It's causing more death and destruction for Ukraine. I just don't understand why don't people don't see it that way. Now that China might be getting involved with their own uh, or in their own attack drones, and now we understand that the Iranian-Russia connection is st- stronger than ever because the Russians are promising missile technology uh, in exchange for the attack drones that they have. Now, at the same time, all this alliance is fortifying, and they're making it easy for us. No longer debatable whether Iran, Russia, and China are our enemies. They're making it much right. easier. So while now on the right, because Joe Biden has so little credibility, especially after Afghanistan, there's beginning to fracture. I'll give you an example. A guy I respect a lot, Dan Bongino, said this over the weekend. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The United States appears to be walking directly into World War III. The signs are everywhere. Pentagon's planning to send more than 100 U.S. troops to Taiwan for training in the coming months. Meanwhile, China's Xi Jinping is planning a visit to Moscow to see Putin. I'm sure they're just there to play Scrabble or whatever. A Putin who just this week, by the way, suspended participation in a nuclear arms treaty with the United States and then threatened to resume nuclear testing. That kind of sounds like a big deal. Even worse, China appears to be strengthening its support for Russia. And folks, there's real concerns. China will start supplying Russia with lethal weapons in the Ukraine war. So uh, what do you feel? How do you feel about that? Well, I don't think we're walking toward World War III, but we clearly see the blocks lining up and stiffening between the East and the West, right? We, it's the democracies versus the autocracies, the good guys versus the bad guys. Uh, Xi Jinping uh, is not going to let Russia fail. That's why the our intelligence community is getting reports that uh, that they may be considering providing lethal aid to the Russians. By the way, they've been providing financial, technical, and other aid. They've been buying Russian energy now for months, and we haven't cracked down on that. And then the developments between the Russians and the uh, Iranians are troubling. So, look, this is what happens when, when, you, when you give the bad guys uh, room to seize the initiative. They're going to do it. And if we had, again, given the Ukrainians um, uh, what they needed, we might have been able to go uh, gain a lot more success, maybe not a knockout punch, but really have, have had a lot, much more successful uh, play on the battlefield than where we are right now. Because right now it seems to be settled into a rough stalemate, you know, more like World War One style trench warfare where you have mass waves of infantry preceded by artillery. And that's not what uh, that's not the fight we want to get into. That will go on for years and years and could end up in a frozen conflict. What we need to, to do is give the Ukrainians the means to, to kind of get, get this over with quickly. 
Secretary Esper, do you think you guys, uh, who did a lot more than Obama, who gave him blankets and MREs, you guys gave him weapons. Do you guys think you should have done more for Ukraine? Uh, you know, in retrospect, you always say yes, but uh, but you're right. I mean, clearly we did give them javelins. Uh, I visited Lviv in, in western Ukraine and watched us training them. It's, it's often overlooked, but I think the training of their of their military, of their soldiers and their NCOs actually is the most significant thing here. And we, we put a lot of time and effort into that. But, uh, you know, look, Secretary Pompeo, Mike Pompeo and I and others were always talking about this showdown between uh, Russia and the United States, the East and the West, and, and really China, which I think is the far, far more complex and difficult threat that we face in this century. So I want to fast forward to China and who's very much they're making a big decision now. I really believe I really believe we should tell them exactly what's going to happen if they supply them attack drones and start giving them uh, weapons. And I think all Western Europe should be on the same page with an announcement that they're going to start shutting down the our markets to Chinese goods massively, incrementally and practically. So don't make it pie in the sky stuff that we can't execute. So let them know economically at a time in which they can afford at least they'll pay the biggest price. I would like to let them know the consequences ahead of time because they seem to be moving forward. But I was shocked to the CIA. I was pleased that CIA Director Burns said this over the weekend about China going into Taiwan. You've said Xi Jinping told his military to be prepared to invade Taiwan by 2027. Um, the intel community seems a little bit more ambiguous in its conclusions here. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's an outright invasion, or do you think China's more likely to slowly strangle democracy in Taiwan? We need to take very seriously Xi's ambitions with regard to ultimately controlling Taiwan. That doesn't, however, in our view, uh, mean that a military conflict is inevitable. We do know, as has been made public, that President Xi has instructed the PLA, the Chinese military leadership, to be ready by 2027 to invade Taiwan. But that doesn't mean that he's decided uh, to invade in 2027 or any other year as well. I think our judgment, at least, is that President Xi and his military leadership have doubts today about whether they could accomplish that invasion. Well, I was was surprised by that. They have doubts. They haven't really fought any type of skirmish since 1979 uh, with Vietnam, and that was brief and wasn't that successful. So maybe they have doubts, especially if we give Taiwan what they need to defend themselves. Yeah, look, I think that's a fair assessment by Director Burns. Uh, some of us have been saying the same things. I, I think the tactical failures on the battlefield by the Russian military have been a wake-up call for Xi Jinping. I think the unity of the West, the sanctions, the economic, financial, diplomatic have been a wake-up call for Xi Jinping. And I think he's asking himself, himself is it worth it? Now, uh, and, and all those are good things because we want him to wake up every day saying, no, today's not the day because we can't pull it off. But where we've been too slow, once again, uh, Brian, is in terms of providing Taiwan the means to defend itself. And if they if they had those things now, they could deter Chinese aggression. Nothing would be better than for a Chinese military to see 23 million armed Taiwanese ready to fight for their survival. Nobody's going to take that fight on because uh, because that's just that would just be a hornet's nest that they would never win. And by the way. You know, think, some think tanks have won, have run war games where this has proven itself out that if Taiwan arms itself and fights and if the United States commits vigorously, uh, China doesn't win. And that's a good thing, right? Uh, yeah, I would think that's a good thing. Do you think that uh, we find out about this uh, COVID coming? You know, you, I'm sure you saw the new, new report, the Secretary of Energy 
the Energy Department, uh, joins the FBI in, a, in concluding uh, that it looks like that lab, COVID-19 came from the lab, the Wuhan lab, which we all knew logically. Tom Cotton was the first to speak out. You guys, as administration, immediately with the shutdown, travel from China. They still have not admitted, and they're not forthcoming, but we saw how they reacted and killed the whistleblower doctor that came out and said it came from a lab. Do you think that comes out uh, without the balloon situation from th- uh, three weeks ago? You know, I don't know, Brian, but it's it is uh, it's another reminder that as we look back in time, we see all these things that people portrayed as conspiracy theories or flukes or whatnot that seem to be uh, coming true, that or at least have more truth than before. Because you're right, we were saying it was possible that it came from the lab, either intentionally or accidentally, and now we're seeing the, the facts play itself out. And on top of that, you know, the Chinese never have given an inch on this. They've blocked investigation and inquiry after inquiry after inquiry. You know, they, they got the World Health Organization to soft pedal its initial disputes. And look, we still need that information. We still need to know what happened and why. Lab leaks happen, happen. And, 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 and you have to be transparent about that so we can prevent them from happening in the future. But this is just another example of the Chinese Communist Party hiding, uh, hiding from the world, allowing what nearly 7 million people to die as a result of this infection. It crippled our economy. For a, for a matter of time. So this is very problematic. This is what happens when you deal with the Chinese Communist Party. Right. I just do think that's something we all can get behind because most people see the threat of China. It's how to handle it and who's compromised by it. Lastly, are you concerned about the amount of people on the right, like Ted Cruz, uh, uh, Andy Biggs, that just don't want any part of this conflict, says we should just get out and just let Ukraine wither, don't like the country, don't like Zelensky? Yeah, I am. Look, I'm, I, I consider myself a Reagan Republican, and Ronald Reagan would be standing firmly behind the Ukrainian people right now as they fight for their democracy. Uh, look, they're not perfect. There's been corruption in that society for a long time. They need to fix that. But we've got to stand behind the democracies of the world, and we've got to stand against the autocracies of the world. And uh, if it's a matter of spending too much money, I get it. I agree. I think our debt situation is terrible, and we need to address it from top to bottom, both mandatory and discretionary spending. And at the same time, we need to be able to deal with the the Chinese. So I I think on one hand, they're right. But on the other hand, denying the Ukrainians' assistance is the wrong way to go, because at the end of the day, it comes back home to America. Eventually, we have to deal with it in one way, shape, or form. And better to fight that fight now, support support a country who all they're asking for are arms and ammunition. They're not asking for American soldiers. They just want arms and ammunition to do the job themselves. So let's give them that. Yeah, the problem is Joe Biden has just no credibility on the world stage. And after Afghanistan, the last thing people want to do is say, let's go with what Joe says, who's been slow arming. And I think that's I think people are getting lost in the forest and the trees personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much. Secretary Esper, I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Take care. You got it. one 408 7669 I know you have a lot to say. Many of you don't agree with me and Secretary Esper on that, and that's fine. I think it makes the show better. You probably have all valid points. one 408 7669 Your call's next. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh I, my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The 
Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. That was a turning point in the coverage because Democrats were saying this is the way it happened. Wear a mask, wear 10 masks. And of course, this just came up naturally through the environment. And don't condemn China. You're anti-Asian if you do that. You're fomenting unrest in our country. You're causing crime in our subways. And then out comes Jon Stewart on just an appearance to promote one of his projects with Stephen Colbert, the man he put in that spot, executive producer of his show, and says that. What is even better is the two-shot. Even through his thick glasses, you could see Colbert recoiling, saying, oh, my goodness, what's he saying? It's called, drumroll please, the truth, a logic that Tom Cotton said and was vilified for. And everyone that vilified him, I thought, was an idiot because you have to suspend logic, which I think people really like doing. Ricky, listening in South Carolina. Hey, Ricky. Good morning, Brian. How are you doing today? Great. What's in your mind? So... I'm against sending F-16 to Ukraine. So now let me explain why. If we had been secretly training the Ukrainian Air Force on F-16 since the war started, they would be able to use them tomorrow. But we haven't. While Poland has been requesting F-16s, and they will send them their MiGs, which they're already trained on. So I think we should send them to Poland and let Poland give their Air Force to the Ukrainians, and that will let the Air Force to the Ukrainians Good point. now. Give him MIGs. Okay. I like the logic, Ricky. I like the, ro- uh, like the logic. You know, they're trained on MIGs. You know, silly me. I thought when these countries got into NATO in the 90s that they'd be, they would start using and buying our stuff. Why were they buying Soviet stuff and expected to be ready knowing that you're going to, if anything, be forced to fight the Soviets, the Russians now, uh, and you would have to be, uh, you know, of course, you have to get the parts from them. Thanks, Ricky. Avery in Florida. Avery. Hey, good morning, Brian. Um, it's nice to talk with you. Uh, I just wanted to express a little bit of a different angle on Ukraine. We know that Ukraine has uh, – well, we have the Treaty of Minsk, you know, the Minsk yep. Agreement, which we promised the Soviet Union that we would not be arming Ukraine. It would be a buffer zone, if you will. We know Putin's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. He never has been. But the fact is, is we have bioweapons labs there. We know that. We put We, we promised to prevent – Avery, we promised – to provide them security along with Russia and the rest of NATO if they gave up their nuclear weapons. Not promise a buffer zone. They're a country, not a buffer zone. A buffer zone is the Sinai Peninsula. It's the, it's the uh, Golan Heights. They're a country. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action now. This hour, we're going to be joined by Brett Baer to set the table for the week. Brett's got a big interview with the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray. Also, we're going to have Jamie Metzl standing by, a member of the WHO Advisory Committee, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and former National Security Council official at the Clinton administration. And what's especially great about Jamie is he couldn't care less about Republican or Democrat. He uh, is one of the few people 
who possibly a Democrat, I'm not really sure, worked for Clinton, but just cares about finding the origins of this leak and how to best treat it and saw what was going on and just decided to speak out. Always appreciate his voice. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. This could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. The idea, I think, is quite far-fetched. China threat. The thread that seems to be something that will unite the whole country together. They are number one foe. And we should wake up to their slow-moving attack on us. And now the other news. The Energy Department has concluded with the FBI, has also concluded, and most reasonable people have concluded, that COVID-19 virus came from a Chinese lab. More on that. Number two. It is really important that whoever runs for president of the United States understands the essence of this conflict, the fact that we are defending not just Ukrainian independence, but we are defending a rules-based system that says might doesn't make right. You can't just extinguish your neighbor. Pirate, uh, a party divided. The GOP's increasing split over the support for the Ukraine war. It's simple for me. Every dollar spent helping Ukraine defeat Russia is is in American interest and worth every penny. Number one. We can't be attacking each other so much that we lose sight of We have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat Joe Biden in 2024. Big races lost this cycle because of Republicans refusing to support other Republicans. Unless we start coming together, we will not win in 2024. Ronna McDaniel, RNC. 2024, a pledge of eventual unity demanded as a potential Trump challenges emerge. By the way, 45 has to feel great about the latest polls that show him up by 20 on Ron DeSantis. And Ronald McDaniel was saying, nobody gets on the debate stage who doesn't pledge to support the winner, whoever it may be, he or she. With me right now is Jamie Metzl. Jamie, what's your reaction to the Energy Department concluding what most logical people did is that this lab, this COVID-19 virus came from Wuhan lab? I think it's great. And I'm thrilled to be back with you, Brian. I think it's fantastic. The Department of Energy, not everybody knows this, has some of the top scientists in, in the world are big labs, Lawrence Livermore National Lab and others. So these are really smart people. And they've just been digging. They've been uh, looking into this, uh, to this issue. And they have concluded, and it's not with, with absolute certainty, but uh, they believe that more likely than not, as, as you know I believe, this pandemic stems from a lab accident in Wuhan. And we need to keep pushing and we need to keep pressing relentlessly, regardless of the politics, to get to the right answer because our future depends on it. So we have the FBI that says more than likely it came from there. Why do you think there's so many people on the left have been so dug in that this did not come from this lab? Like what, what, what you is, know, what's I, I don't this? know, but as, as you mentioned in your intro, uh, Brian, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. I consider myself a progressive centrist Democrat, whatever, uh, whatever that means. I've, Friends who are Democrats, friends who are Republicans, like you, who are all united in saying, let's get to the bottom of this. There are certainly people and Democrats among them who have have positioned this issue kind of like climate change. If you're following the science, it means you think it came from a market. And if you're uh, if you're a conspiracy theorist or something yeah. else, you think it, 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 it came from a lab. There are a few people who think that and I think we need to counter them with conversations like this and outreach and engagement. Um, so I, I, I don't always classify this as a left-right issue. 
There are people on the left and people on the right who are pushing, and I think we all need to push. And we could be wrong. I mean, there could be evidence that comes out tomorrow. We could find a virus in the wild, and when we line it up on the family tree of viruses, it's before SARS-CoV-2, and it's 99.9% the same. And in my mind, that would say, well, maybe this was wrong. Maybe it does come from the wild. But there is no evidence of that now. And in my view, the massive circumstantial evidence points to a most likely origin, which is a lab origin. And that's why I'm pushing and you're pushing and lots of other people are pushing. And you're 100% right that the best way to do it is together. Jimmy, if, you know what to me conspiracy theory is? If they say, you know, Russia and Iran and China got together, constructed this virus, and then they put it in the... No, I have no proof of that. I mean, but when yep. you just see the Wuhan lab right there and it was working on COVID-19 viruses and gain of function, and you'd say to yourself, it just happened there. Why haven't they been transparent? For example, if it did come from the wild, identify the animal it came from. And my yep. goodness, China, wouldn't, you, wouldn't they come out and say, not my fault at one yeah, point? No, they've, they, they've sequenced nearly 100,000 animal genomes and nothing. And not only that, they have prevented any meaningful investigation into the origins issue. We don't have the quote-unquote smoking gun. Uh, but if this was a criminal trial of a mafia boss and the, the witnesses, the prospective witnesses kept disappearing, we'd say, well, it doesn't make the, it doesn't make the mafia boss look innocent. So I want you to hear, just so you know, we're not uh, why we think it's such a big deal, because I remember like yesterday, every time you brought something like this up, you were marginalized. Listen to yep. Tom Cotton. February of 2020, cut 19. This virus did not originate in the Wuhan animal market. Several of the original cases did not have any contact with that food market. The virus went into that food market before it came out of that food market. Because of China's duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning, we need to at least ask the question to see what the evidence says. And China right now is not giving any evidence on that question at all. And then Fauci comes out with a series of statements, every chance he got, 21. The mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized. Did it come from a lab? Was it man-made? There's every reason to believe that that jumping of species from an animal reservoir occurred. Well, I mean, what, what is every reason to believe the jumping of a species? What makes you think that? Yeah, I mean, he should have said, we don't know. We don't know was the right answer. Um, there were a lot of, uh, uh, and still are, some high-profile Western virologists who are making the case. I believe it's not a strong case, but making the case um, for a a market origin. So I'm I'm actually a fan of Dr. Fauci's in many ways, um, but I think that he was too strong in saying, I don't think the evidence supported the strength of the assertion that that you just played and and other ones uh, that he made, which is why I think we need to say, and, and Fauci also, to his credit, said, we need a full, uh, a full investigation. But uh, did but he I mean it? Did, did he mean it? Did he ever call out China? Did he ever say, I want my colleagues over there who uh, divorced from international relations know what the right thing to do is for science, to come clean about what happened? The world needs to know to stop the next one. They didn't give yeah. us a heads up. Where's the anger and where's the, yeah. where's the antagonism 
for that as opposed to the people that didn't agree with his mitigation uh, uh, procedures and beliefs as well as his origin challenges. Yeah. So I you know I don't know whether I don't know whether anger is the right word but I think we all need to be absolutely pushing uh, I, uh, on all sides. So the house is going to be doing hear- doing hearings on COVID origins. I've called the, on the Senate uh, to be uh, doing. I know Fauci is going to be called to testify. And we need to, to keep our focus on the main culprit here, which is China. Uh, the United States government, we need to look at everything, we need, including looking at ourselves. And we need to ask, I mean, I, certainly we the NIH yeah. was giving funds to the EcoHealth Alliance that went, it was about $600,000 over around five years, went to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We had no transparency about what work they were doing. We funded the development of a database, a viral database, that was supposed to help us do the analysis when an outbreak like this happened. But in September of 2019, uh, that database was was taken offline. So we, we have to look at everything, including fearlessly looking at ourselves and let let the chips fall where they may not determined by politics, but by the evidence. Yes, but I'm not done with Anthony Fauci pushing back. Cut 22. If you look at the evolution of the virus in bats and what's out there now, it's very, very strongly leaning towards this could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. I mean, the idea, I think, is quite far-fetched that the Chinese deliberately engineered something so that they could kill themselves as well as other people. What? But he didn't bring up leak. You know, I don't know about deliberately. Who yeah. knows? I mean, they could be that. Yeah, I think that's he's it, it's like he's being he's wordsmithing based on the word deliberately. I, I believe uh, that the Chinese did not create and deliberately release a bioweapon just because that would be insane. Everybody knows it would be. That if you if you like, why would you release a, an infectious pathogen that was just as likely to, to kill you? What I think most likely happened is they were doing perhaps well-intentioned research, uh, trying to develop maybe a pan-coronavirus vaccine, and they did it in a sloppy way and had an accident. And they weren't sure what was happening, and then they started a, a cover-up, and then they were kind of locked in. And then they they went with it. And that's the Chinese side, at least as I see it most likely. But we shouldn't be in the process of making their lives easier. What we should say is we're going to do everything possible to find out how this thing started. And if China, if you're not going to fully participate, which is the case, we are going to repent. uh, We're going to condemn you early and often. And I think that's I I, I agree with you uh, that I think that Fauci has been too soft on this issue, where the correct answer was, we don't know. We need a full investigation. China is preventing that full investigation. We condemn them for that. And then here are all the steps Mm -hmm. that we're going to take to make the deepest possible investigation that we can do, even without Chinese participation. So Jonathan Tilley writes today in the New York Post. So we talked about the leak, and the fact is, okay, uh, Tom Cotton says one thing, and you say another, and somebody says, okay. But I don't want to vilify Tom Cotton. I don't necessarily want to vilify people that says it came from a platypus to a hippopotamus. You know, okay. Um, you know, we take it down. We think about it. We have experts in. We debate it. But vilifying, making sure on social media that they've been 
shadow banned or banned entirely. And as Jonathan Turley writes, the story of the, the scandal is of the media and government censorship. Jamie, were you found some of your opinions and columns censored? Yeah, I don't know censored, but certainly for that first year of 2020, it was a huge uphill struggle because there was somehow this consensus that was unfounded <clears throat> that all smart people know it comes from nature and only crazy conspiracy theorists think it may have come from a lab. And even though, as I mentioned before, I'm a Democrat, I served in the National Security Council under President Clinton, I was a member of the World Health Organization Expert Advisory Committee on Human Genome, I write a lot about science, I live in the world of science, I was kind of on the outside. And not only that, Democratic friends of mine um, were saying, you're talking about uh, possible lab wars, and that's what Trump is saying, you're just going to get Trump reelected. And what I said to them is, look, Oops. I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but I'm not going to reject something just because Donald Trump said it. I'm going to look at the evidence and say, well, do I believe it or do I not believe it? So I didn't like how Donald Trump was was speaking in, in many ways. I thought it was insensitive. But the saying that this probably comes from a lab in my mind, was just common sense, regardless of the politics. And that's, that's why I've, I've enjoyed my uh, many conversations with you, Brian, because we're on the same page in this. It's right. Like, who cares the politics? 15 million people are dead. We've got to find out why. If we don't do it, we're at risk. Future generations at ri- are at risk. And they're going to blame us for not doing everything we could now. And the thing is, Jamie, do you know what would have been just the opposite if Trump got reelected, every person where the vaccine didn't work or it morphed into a new variant that the vaccine was ineffective, they'd say, or people got the swelling of the heart that we hear so much about now or a heart attack out of nowhere at 41. They say Trump rushed the vaccine and because of that, people are dying. And anyone that wore a mask was going along. With, it would have been a total reversal. Can I No, I you know, it's funny, Brian, like I say this all the time. Again, I wasn't a fan of Trump, but. Trump, we should be like parading him around for Operation Warp Speed. Operation yeah. Warp Speed, speeding up these vaccines. Vaccines saved millions of lives, not just in the United States, uh, but around the world. Unfortunately, the, the Trump administration wasn't able to even praise themselves because the politics of vaccines had turned. But I praise the Trump administration all the time. I mean, that was in, in, in American history, Operation Warp Speed ought to be remembered alongside the Manhattan Project and yeah. all these other moments where to do American it. ingenuity rallies and, and saves lives. But the thing is, they were, they were able to do it, gave them immunity. So Pfizer and those others were able to try things, knowing that it wouldn't destroy their company if they had the risk. Yep. And now people are saying, wow, I got swelling of the heart, my, myocarditis I never had before. I'd like to sue them, but I can't. So the complications with it, and I think the approach was pure, and now people don't have so little trust in big pharma that they're looking yeah. for something insidious there. Uh, but so it's hard it's, because the people who don't have COVID or didn't get COVID or and don't have long COVID now because they never had COVID before, they're not kind of stakeholders in saying, wow, gotcha. Operation Warp Seed really saved me. They just think, oh, I never got COVID. So that's, it, it kind of creates an imbalance. Got it. Jamie Metz, always educational to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Anytime. You got it. We come back. I'll take your calls. Then Brett Baer. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show this Monday. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think we have to recognize uh, that uh, the Chinese-Russian relationship is perhaps more strategic than many of us had thought, that it really is a relationship that is aimed at the heart of U.S. power in the world. And uh, that would say, then, uh, these two are not divisible. So if you want to say, let's just concentrate on the Indo-Pacific, mm-hmm. that's not going to work. And oh, by the way, many of our allies, Australia, Japan, uh, fundamentally understand that. Yes, uh, that was kind of Lisa Rice, obviously. Dennis in Virginia Beach. Hey, Dennis. Good morning, Brian. You know, I, my thing is, if uh, Trump was still in, we would never left Afghanistan the way we did and left all the material there. And Putin never would have gone to uh, into Ukraine at all. I agree. And if we had just armed Ukrainians, uh, God, you know, what President uh, Trump was en route doing. Uh, and by the way, there was more weapon shipments coming, and President Biden stopped it. Uh, coming from the Trump administration, they're en route. He goes, no, if we had just given them enough to fight with, there wouldn't have been a fight. Because now we know, too, you know, Russia's going to think twice before they invade anybody because they're so inept. And now we're in a proclaimed blad. Having said that, everything you said is right, but I still think it's in our interest to stop Russia here and therefore you stop China in the process. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll bounce it off Brett Bear in a matter of moments, and then I'll finish up with more of your calls. So glad you're here. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You've said Xi Jinping told his military to be prepared to invade Taiwan by 2027. Um, the intel community seems a little bit more ambiguous in its conclusions here. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's an outright invasion, or do you think China's more likely to slowly strangle democracy in Taiwan? We need to take very seriously Xi's ambitions with regard to ultimately controlling Taiwan. That doesn't, however, in our view, uh, mean that a military conflict is inevitable. We do know, as has been made public, that President Xi has instructed the PLA, the Chinese military leadership, to be ready by 2027 to invade Taiwan. But that doesn't mean that he's decided uh, to invade in 2027 or any other year as well. I think our judgment, at least, is that President Xi and his military leadership have doubts today about whether they could accomplish that invasion. William Burns, CIA director, saying that the China... A little wary, according to their reports and intelligence, after Russia struggled so mightily and lost two has two hundred thousand casualties, death, uh, and, uh, the dead and wounded. With us right now is Brett Baer, set to host special report, and this will be the week he talks to Christopher Ray, FBI director. Hey, Brett. Hey, Brian. Hey, that's the first time I heard that from an official. I've heard people on the sideline that, you know, China's getting a little wary about going into Taiwan. Maybe it's not going to be that easy, like Hong Kong. Yeah, I think Bill Burns is one of their best spokespeople when it comes to intelligence. Obviously, he's at the heart of everything, but he does speak pretty clearly uh, and actually answers questions. Uh, So that's a rare event. Uh, He essentially is saying what what some you know are pointing to, and that China has a lot of internal problems. It has. Uh, millions of people going from rural areas to urban areas. It's got um, health concerns in uh, how to keep those people 
you know, deal with healthcare. And it's got a, a, a whole bunch of things that determine are determined on the supply chain that uh, could very well be affected with any kind of move on Taiwan. So I do think there's a little, you know, everything I hear, uh, a little reticence on, on Xi's part to, to move forward. So we see Jake Sullivan over and over again say that I told, you know, China's thinking about providing lethal weapons to Russia and uh, how bad that would be. I don't understand why not spell out exactly how bad it would be. Let them know. I mean, is NATO on on target to start limiting trade with them? Is the EU on target to start doing that? How devastating would be economically to them? Why not say it? I agree with you. Yeah, why not lay it out and say this is these are the consequences? Um, this administration has not done that. Has not spoken in black and white. It's a lot of gray nuance. Uh, I mean, think about it. You had a Chinese spy balloon that made it all the way across the country, uh, and you know, Vice President Harris said it wouldn't affect U.S.-China relations. Well, maybe what it would they? <laughs> yeah, um, and so I think you look at every issue on China, and it seems like they're they're just tiptoeing around uh, some of the big big issues that should be black and white, according to critics up on Capitol Hill. So, I mean, this is what Robert Lighthizer was saying, uh, a pretty well-respected trade representative, one of the MVPs of the Trump years, cut 33. For sure, we ought to, we, we ought to repeal it. But I think in addition, we ought to put tariffs on China uh, in order to get the trade deficit to zero. We have transferred, let me just give you this number, about six trillion dollars in trade surpluses to them uh, in the last 20 years. Six trillion dollars. No rational person can now look at the situation and not see what's coming. And the first statement was said, should we get rid of the most favorite station nation status to China? I mean, I think that's something both sides can agree on. I mean, we're getting there. And obviously, there are some businesses that still have a lot of operations in China. But increasingly, a lot of those businesses are are moving on their own uh, with their feet as the Chinese government is is kind of cracking down um, on the mainland and elsewhere. So I, I, you know, Lighthizer has a really good sense of this. Obviously, he was the point man uh, for a lot of uh, Trump trade policy. But I think you're going to increasingly have this conflict. And the administration talks about it as competition, not conflict. But it's not how the Chinese are acting. So let's talk about 2024. Brett, do you know, are you going to be, you and Martha going to be doing the primaries in, excuse me, the debates in August? I don't know. Officially, um, we've definitely talked about it and uh, made pitches and um, we expect to be considered. But I I don't think they've finally made a, um, a determination. But We look forward to a robust uh, primary debate schedule. I think there's going to be a number of candidates, and they're going to want to have times where they're all on the same stage. Ronna McDaniel said that if you don't sign this pledge to support the winner who gets the nomination, you can't get on the stage. How could she possibly hold to that, knowing that Donald Trump would never – I don't think he's going to sign it. She seems adamant that he's going to sign it. I, I don't know where that comes from. That confidence. I mean, obviously, the last uh, two cycles ago, I asked that question in Cleveland uh, because it was a big concern among the RNC folks. Um, if he didn't run, was he going to run independent? And you remember the whole, the whole answer there. I, I think that 
you know, it's tough to, to pin down Donald Trump. But right now, he the latest polls have him ticking up uh, as far as support. And who knows what happens over time uh, as more and more people, including the Florida governor, get in. Uh, but right now, he's in a pretty decent position poll-wise if you look across the board. Yeah, I would think so. By the way, I'm going to speak to Governor DeSantis today. You'll hear the interview tomorrow on this show. Uh, 2024 Republican nominee preference, Fox News poll. Who do you pick? Republicans, 43% Trump, 28% DeSantis, 7% Haley and Pence, uh, and the rest have 2%, whether it's Abbott or whether it's Pompeo on down. So that's a pretty substantial lead. It is, and it's not the only poll. Um, and we have, you know, good polls, but they there are others that that have it, you know, double digits, some, you know, higher than mid-teens uh, advantage. Now, obviously, Governor DeSantis is not officially in the race, but he's being considered in these polls. And you know, people will say, well, it's name recognition, it's looking back to Trump policies, but if this primary gets going, it's going to focus more on you know, what he's done and said uh, and wanting to turn the page to a new generation. That may be the case, but as you head into this process, um, you know, August is going to come soon before that first debate. So I know you have a lot of big interviews. This is as big as it gets, in my view, uh, Christopher Ray. How did you get it? I think so. And, and, and yeah. what's your approach? So I've been working on it for really months. Uh, I, I interviewed him, I guess, a year ago. Um, had a good back and forth. Um, you know, what I'm going for is tough but fair. And obviously, there are an increasing number of items that fall under the FBI basket um, that are controversial. And, you know, something tells me that the FBI director wants to get out ahead of the Durham report that officially comes out at some point. Um, maybe he wants to get ahead of some of the hearings that are going to be called up on Capitol Hill. Not sure the motivation, but it took a long time, and uh, I agree. It's it's going to take some some effort to murder board exactly where we're going to go for the you interview. Know, it's if amazing. you have any suggestions, feel free to uh, well, the, tweet the one... me at Brett there. Or... Oh yeah, anyone. And but Brett, do you think I could text you? Or you still want me to tweet you? I have to oh, tweet. Okay. You. you can text me. Okay, yeah, yeah, I probably wouldn't put that up. Right. Thank you. Uh, so. Uh, let me see. I usually provide most of Brett's questions. That'll come out when the unauthorized biography is finally released, which I've been working on. Uh, so, so Brett, I mean, a couple of things. There's a lot of stuff where Christopher Ray could come clean because it doesn't reflect him. It happened before he got there. And he could say, yeah, yeah. I came in. I, I fixed this. You know, Comey was doing this and Mueller was doing that. And I came into this and my approach was this. And there's other stuff that does reflect directly on him. But he did. Yeah. He changed. Seemed to have changed so little, uh, because I guess you want to keep it in the family. I mean, f for example, if stuff happened, if I could say I got hired at Fox in 2015, and there was stuff that happened before, and I could say, yeah, it didn't happen when I was there. But it, since I'm on the Fox team now, I'm not going to say anything. But with, with, with Christopher Ray, I think the stakes are different. You talk about national security, and if he wants, there's no faith in the FBI now on both sides. Having especially on the right. There's a huge, there's huge questions. And now we have that defector who was in the middle of the Russia Mueller probe. Turns out that he was feeding Russia information. Uh, and he's in the middle of all this stuff about the dossier and things like that. So there's, and now you have these FBI whistleblowers coming forward. Are they all insane? Yeah, evidently there's a dozen. Yeah. And, you know, those hearings are going to be quite something. 
uh, if Jim Jordan is forecasting what exactly he has. Uh, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of issues, and some of it does predate Ray, but some of it is happening real time. I mean, the disparity between how the documents were handled with former President Trump and President Biden, I mean, there's a lot of people ask questions about that. Um, the you know, um, pro-life protester and, and how he was uh, arrested and, and, and he's since been cleared. Um, there's all kinds of controversies, it seems, that are, involve the FBI. So um, it's not a shortage of questions. Right. Uh, so the other thing is the the Energy Department came out and did had some great scientists there, and they came out and said it looks like uh, they believe additional evidence reveals that most likely COVID-19 came from the from a, a lab and not from a platypus and a duck and a hippopotamus, uh, as we thought originally. So this is something the FBI actually says they, they have concluded the same thing. Four other agencies have not. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Birx and company say absolutely not. You know, there's just no way, but let's have an investigation. I wonder where this is going, Brett. And it's important because we've got to stop the next one. Yeah, this is such, you know, you, you talk about the, what has been said about masks and what has been said about the vaccine and how that has all evolved over time. And we've obviously talked about that. But I think that the origin story is really gets to the heart of not only social media shutdown, uh, government kind of saying you can't say that, um, but the fact that it's now totally evolved. And we did the first story. Um, of that back in April two years ago. Uh, and we were called whack jobs, essentially. And, uh, you know, despite having multiple sources in multiple places, uh, there was a real shutdown effort. And it can, it's seen in some of the emails that were forwarded with between Dr. Fauci and, and others. Um, and so I, I do think that there's some vindication, but you have to look back and see what was said. It's really amazing if you think of where we were even just a year ago on this issue. Uh, yeah, and you know when it's all said and done? One of the people um, that turned this around, when people were bringing up like Tom Cotton was marginalized as a conspiracy theorist because he came out in, in February 2020 and said this came from a lab. Don't believe anything else that you hear. We know the New York Times and everybody else wrote him up. And then I remember this appearance on Stephen Colbert was the one that really knocked Democrats off their axis. Cut 25. There's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. That made a lot of news. <laughs> yeah. And he was right. I mean, it was, it just, it never made sense that what was, what, what was being put out there. And the fact that it was being shut down, that it could not have come from the lab, which just didn't make sense. And yet everybody went with it. And social media said, you can't talk about it. And um, I just think that over time, 
we're going to learn more and more. And remember, we're learning this without the help of the Chinese. Uh, because on the back end of this, there's a responsibility, you know, that that uh, is going to have to be looked at. And I think some of these hearings up on Capitol Hill are going to get to that. You mean uh, countries crushed, millions dead? I would think China would see somewhat culpable. Uh, I would, yeah. Yeah. And if they admit to anything. Uh, Brett, I look forward to your interview. When can we see it? So it'll be on tomorrow on Special Report. We'll have a couple sound bites come out um, uh, mid-afternoon. I'll do a, lo- a live shot or two from the FBI. But then um, the show uh, tomorrow will be from the FBI at the beginning, and we'll have 20 minutes with the FBI director. Oh, wait. It's live? It's live to tape. Okay. Yeah, um, I'll be taping it earlier in the day. Got it. All right, Brett. Another reason to watch a special report. It's on wherever you get cable. Uh, thanks, you Brett. got it. And stream. We'll see you. I'll look. All right, Brett, go get him. I'll look for my questions. I will tweet you and text you, and I'll make sure the interview works. As usual, I will help Brett bear out uh, because I am a great colleague. Back in a moment, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. President Biden is being praised for his surprise visit to Ukraine by taking a 10-hour train ride from Poland. Big deal. You know who else takes a long-ass train ride through an active war zone? Every New Yorker. (laughs) China is trying to help end the war in Ukraine and proposed a 12-part plan for peace. The catch is the 12 parts have to be assembled by children. Well, other than that, it's a good plan, I guess. While Biden was in Ukraine, Republicans criticized his delayed response to the Ohio train derailment, but Biden said he was just waiting to shoot the train down until it was over the ocean. That is fantastic. Uh, and there was some of the things that you couldn't help but go after Biden for. I didn't see SNL. Usually I try to take it in, see if it's newsworthy. But I understand that Woody Harrelson also had somewhat of a meltdown about COVID-19. But uh, I know he's a great actor. seems like a nice guy, but he's always high. So I'm not sure if that helped. Alexis in Brooklyn. Hey, Alexis. Alex. Excuse me, Alex. Yes. My fault. Hi, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. And by the way, I think the New Yorker going on the train is more of a hero than Joe Biden because they, <laughs> ah. Joe Biden went with security. So, yeah. But, and he told uh, you about... Russia he's coming. So Russia knew not to hit yeah. him or else they'd start a world war. <laughs> of course, but I wanted to say about the FBI and the Energy Department now coming out and saying that this might, yes. this COVID might be coming from a lab. I think this is another example of where we saw the Democrats coming out after the election and admitting that the Hunter Biden laptop might be Hunter Biden's. And the reason is because they know the Republicans now have the House and they're going yeah. to be investigating COVID and the laptop situation with Hunter Biden. And they want to be ahead of the curve. And so that's why they're coming out with the truth right now, because the truth is going to come out anyways, because the Republicans are going to be investigating it. So that's why they're admitting that this may be the case with COVID right now. Uh, no question. Tony, listening in New Jersey. Tony, WABC. Hello, hello, Brian. Love your show. Um, listen, I'm looking for the job, the job description of a diplomat, what we need. And I'm hoping in the next administration one who is in the in the sort of background right now will surface one diplomat like a Teddy Roosevelt who in the early yeah. 1900s brought peace 
to who? Russia and Japan. He did. He stepped up. Let's see what happened. But too bad Russia is occupying too much of Ukraine just to say let's have peace. Thanks so much for everyone. See you at the Metro Diner tomorrow in Ponte Vedra, Florida, right off A1A. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.